0: Through or two. this is what I am yelling, screaming, encouraging my nine and 10 year old uh, baseball players to learn, that every time they hit that ball and they're running towards first base, they have two options. They run through the base or I'm gonna say two and you're gonna run to second base. Now I know that as they get older, there's more sophisticated nuance to base running, but right now, in their development, it's just easier for them to hear me on first base scream to them through or to. And essentially what I'm trying to teach them is to do anything but one thing, which is slow down as you run to first base. And that's a hard concept in baseball because every other base you can't overrun like first base. So to learn that in first base, you can go through the base, but if you go left, then you're a live player. But if you go right, then you can walk yourself slowly back to first base. I can tell you how amazing you are and give you your next instruction, through or two, but never slow down for first base. Basic instruction to keep us in the game, to keep us competitive, to keep us in a position to score and to stay in the inning and to stay at bat. Simple instructions, through or to, but never slow down for first. Brothers and sisters, sometimes the most basic of instructions that are designed for us to stay in the game, to stay competitive, to be the very people that God has called us to be. The most basic of instructions are so hard for us as the people of God. And what I believe is that in many ways, and I am talking about the big church, not just us at Lake Avenue Church, we are slowing down for first base. And we have clear instruction from God to go through or to, to keep us in the game, to keep us competitive, To be the very people that God has designed us to be, to proclaim his gospel, the gospel of his son Jesus to the world. And the one thing we're not to do is to slow down coming into first base. Today, as we look at the scripture, as we understand this instruction for us as the community of God, what I believe are these through or two kind of instructions, I pray, that for each one of us, no matter who you are and where you are in your faith journey, how many times you've been at bat, how many times you've run to first, second, third, or home, that the living God would speak to you today because I believe he's given us very clear commands, very clear instructions. And at the end of the day, I and others, others in in my kind of position, others who follow Jesus, are saying that the world is looking at us and the church is slowing down for first base. A a command from Jesus is not an optional thing for any of us. In fact, we've looked in this series about, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. And in this same section, this high priestly prayer, John 14 to 17, we see command after command. We will be in a prayer in a moment, but even laced within this prayer that Jesus gives is a command to us as his people to fulfill the very prayer that he's praying for. But in Matthew 13, what we have just declared in song together, listen to our Lord give us the clear instruction. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Church, we're slowing down for first base on the most basic of commands, love one another. And when we love one another, the world will know that God has sent us. I found it very interesting that this struggle to just get to first base is not new, as new as it feels, as new as it feels for us in the very divided world we live in but arguably one of the most um, accessible uh, Bible commentators that many of you even have in your home, William Barclay. You know those short little uh, Bible commentaries? They're by color. Blue is the gospel. I think red are the epistles. It's a great little at-home commentary series. In 1955, speaking about the verses we will look at in a moment, listen to what he says in 1955. The cause of Christian unity at the present time, 1955, the cause of Christian unity at the present time and indeed all through history has been injured and violated and hindered because men love their own ecclesial organizations, men love their own creeds, men love their own ritual more than they loved one another. Our text today will be in John 17. We are going to be in verse 11, and then we are going to come back to verses we looked at on Easter Sunday, verses 20 to 23. If you are able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? John 17, in verse 11, Jesus prays to his Father, I will remain in the world no longer, But they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It is so good to hear that response. Let me just briefly remind you where we have been in this John 17 text and essentially this series. Last week we saw that Jesus is very clear as he prays for his immediate disciples and for us. This will show up that we are sent into the world. Our mission is to be sent by him into this world. We're not sent away from the world. And that's a hard task. Jesus prays for protection. We'll look at that again in verse 11. He prays for protection from us as we live out our mission. And then he gives us a couple of specific things, specific ways of living that will help us fulfill the very difficult mission he's given to us. If you were not with us last week, you'll see that, and I encourage you to listen, uh, we looked at this instruction, this prayer of Jesus that, that we would be sanctified by the truth, And the truth being the word of God. We spoke about that last week. We talked specifically that this journey of sanctification is one towards God, conforming to God and his ways. Thank you, Jeremy, for praying about who God is and leading us in that reflection. We also recognize that sanctification is a lifelong journey. You don't arrive at sanctification. I don't get to say, my name's Jeff Mattisich. I've been at Lake Avenue Church 23 years, and that means somehow I'm more sanctified than someone else. It's a lifelong journey of sanctification. We also talked about the, that we need to be humble, that when we come to God through His Word, we have to come with humility because we're always learning. There is more of God to understand, more truth to be sanctified, and we've got to come humbly. And then this other instruction of Jesus to not only be sanctified by the truth of the word of God, but to be unified, to be unified, as he says, as he and the father are unified, being unified as the son and father are. And unity is such a buzzword in some sense. In fact, I would believe that some of you so far have go here. Here we go again with this call to unity. Now here's what I believe the Spirit of God has put on me, is that we will leave this worship experience together, this worship service, this time of teaching, being able to understand at a basic level what unity is not and what unity is. Now let me tell you this, this is not a comprehensive, I can't can't give you in this one sermon the fullness of what God means by unity, but what I've tried to do is to discern from God's Word and through the leading of the Holy Spirit the very, what unity at a very common at least it's this and we'll get there in a moment but in a divided world where everybody's calling division where everybody recognizes that not only is the church of Jesus and the Christian movement divided into all kinds of denominations and movements and perspectives and beliefs even before a pandemic even more now within a pandemic uh, that, that there's just some Uh, I think there's lack of teeth on what unity is, because what unity is not, understand this, unity is not natural. Unity, we are not, as sinful people, we don't wake up with a desire to be unified across difference. Part of sin in itself is separation and division, the impact of sin on your and my life is that our natural bend as sinful individuals is to move towards division with God and division with one another. That separation, things like suspicion, division, separation, that we have to understand without Christ in our life and without being sanctified by the word of God, this division and suspicion, that's what's natural for us. Look at this. uh, When Jesus prays in the prayer in verse 11, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Jesus Christ, our Savior, prays for his disciples, prays for us to be protected in this pursuit of unity. That should show us. One, what one of the most major schemes and approaches of the enemy are, which is division. Jesus is praying that we would be protected from division. We would be protected from suspicion. We would be protected from wanting to just be our natural sinful person. He's praying that we could be unified. Understand that unity is not natural. If we can start there... And we can understand that we can have grace with ourselves and grace with one another when we are just being our natural sinful people. But it's also too important that unity and what we're not seeing in the scriptures, that unity is not benign. Unity is not theoretical. Unity is not about the lowest common denominator. Unity is not about not having truth to center on. The call to unity is not this generic call for people just to be not passionate about anything, for people just to kind of find the lowest common denominator between a bunch of people who think things differently and just live at the lowest common denominator. I don't think we see that in Scripture. Unity is not theoretical. It's not benign. It's not about the lowest common denominator. Look again in verse 22 at the very beginning and into 23. I've given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one. And I want you to hear this because the word in is the word that is the the whole puppy today. We have to understand what this word in means. When Jesus says, I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. In this word, this word that Jesus is praying is essential to understand. If, 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 if Jeff is saying, hey, uh, unity is not theoretical or generic or about the lowest common denominator, it's, it's predicated on this idea that unity is all about understanding what this in means between God and the, the Father and the Son. And then the invitation for us to be invited in to this relationship they have, it's not generic. In is the key word. We understand the word. We understand the relationship between the Father and Son. And we understand the invitation of unity that you and I are invited into with God and with one another. And essentially, the best way to understand this is that the relationship between the Father and the Son is one of heart and purpose, it's one of intimacy and involvement. It speaks to connection and mission. It's anything but just a generic kind of love or relationship. It's intentional. It's a relationship defined by heart, passion, and purpose, mission. It's a relationship the father and the son have between intimacy and involvement in his creation and in our lives. This is what unity is centered in. If we can be and understand the relationship of God and the Father, and eventually in the text and what we live is in a Trinitarian moment where the Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, and we see this loving relationship between Father, Son, and Spirit. One of intimacy and involvement, one of heart and purpose, and you and I as followers of Jesus we are invited, we are invited into that kind of relationship with God, and that should define our relationship with one another. But, but, but notice this, once we enter that relationship, that involvement and intimacy, here's what unity is not. It is not uniformity. Unity does not mean that we become one robotic group of people who think the same things, have the same experiences. And our goal is just to be like just one kind of robot moving through this world to proclaim the name of Jesus. That's not how he set us up. I mean, read the Psalms and the the intimacy and the specificity of how he puts us together and knits us together, our personalities, our passions, our life experiences. In fact, even in Romans, understanding that unity is not uniformity, listen to this, "For, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we. So in Christ we, the church, though many, form one body And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. This is where our message, if we can get the first base, we have some hope to stay in the game. That it's about us coming together with the uniqueness and the gifts and the experiences that God has given us. And then in us coming together, we proclaim there is a different way of living than the ways of this world. We each have different gifts. Unity is not uniformity, but what is unity? Now, I said earlier, unity is more than what I'm going to share with you in these three points, but it's not less. Unity is more than what I'm going to share with you in a moment, but it is certainly not less. And essentially, what we have to begin to see is that unity is all about relationships of mutual love. Unity is having relationships of mutual love And again, this is not a generic hold hands with your neighbor, peace, love, and hope. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit exist in a relationship of mutual love. This is what gives us our context for mutual love with one another. And you and I have been invited in to have relationships with mutual love because that's the very relationship the Godhead has with one another. It's relationships of mutual love because there's a father, son, and spirit share mutual love. That is our example. And so, in light of that, what can we say? And again, just like last week, these are principles. They're biblical principles. They don't derive out of uh, the text we've looked at, but they are informed by. And I think for us, at minimum, unity is forgiveness. One of my favorite verses that centers me as a parent is Micah 7, 18 and 19. And it just says, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. I love this verse as a parent because it reminds me that with my own mistakes, my own sins, that my heavenly parent does not stay angry forever and delights in hurling those moments as far away From me as possible through the grace and forgiveness of Jesus and if this is the way God deals with me his rebellious son then surely this is the way I can try to deal with my own children to not stay angry forever but to delight in forgiveness this is a verse That for me gives some context, not only for the parent-child relationship, but should give help and context for you and me as the church relationship. So if you are new to Lake Avenue Church, and, and there are many of you new, and there's some of you joining us online right now. And even if you're not, I want to just be very, very clear. This is a church about Jesus Christ, but it is run by a bunch of humans. So we are going to make mistakes here. There are going to be times where I make mistakes. There's going to be times we make mistakes with one another. There's going to be times in our best attempt to being faithful and on a time clock of having a meeting that you have in your small group and wherever your emotions are and wherever your abilities are or my time clock or our time clock to put a sermon up, there's going to be times where we at the end of the day, guess what? We, we could do that better. I actually believe every weekend I look back and I go, look at the things I could have done better. We are not a church of perfection. We are a church of the perfect God. And because we are a church of Jesus that is run by human beings, we will make mistakes. We are not there yet. But to be unified as the people of God, we cannot obsess over each other's mistakes. We have to run towards being like God and extend forgiveness to one another. One of my Christian heroes is an attorney, Brian Stevenson. In his book, Just Mercy, he has a quote that I think is just lifted right off the lips of God. Each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. When we focus on the hard moments or the mistakes... We essentially say, hey, that moment, and I'm going to speak to this again in a moment, the culture you and I live in, that moment defines everything about you. I was with a pastor this week who pastors about 30 miles away, and with tears in his eyes, he said, I lost a great friend who's been in my church for 20 years. Over seven words, I said. Seven words. 20 years of relationship, seven words Gone. That is not unity, friends. Unity is not about us thinking about our worst moments. Unity is not staying angry forever and getting to that place of delight to move on. I have a general belief that most people in the world do not wake up and attempt to hurt somebody. I have a general belief that most people do not wake up and say, you know what I wanna do? Is I wanna hurt somebody's feelings or offend someone today. Now I know there are some because we live in a broken, sinful world. I think we see that even on our news, with the rise in shootings. But the overwhelming statistical majority of human beings, based on Jeff Mattisich's non-research, is that people are doing the best they can with the day they're having and the abilities and skills they've been given or learned. If you are someone who struggles with your brothers and sisters to forgive, here's a great antidote be sanctified by the truth. The antidote to be more like God is to be with God. I will confess to you that in 20, however many years I've been here, I have done hurtful things, but I've also been forgiven by people. And I've been hurt and I have forgiven and I'm telling you that is a free and unifying way of being the people of God. Unity is forgiveness. Unity is also grace. In Matthew 18, grace and forgiveness are connected. We'll try to nuance that in a moment, but I want you to hear When Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And and if you research this text, what, what all scholars would agree on wasn't that Jesus is encouraging us to open an Excel spreadsheet and put somebody's name on it, and when you get to 78, you're good to go. It was an exaggeration. It's endless. Grace is receiving what we do not deserve, and oftentimes forgiveness is an extension of grace on behalf of us to the other. Christian unity is founded on grace. It's founded on the grace that God extends to you and me through Jesus on the cross to be forgiven, to be redeemed, and through the grace of God, we can be in relationship with God. And that same kind of grace is essential for Christian unity to be sustained. You and I live in a time where the big buzzword is cancel culture. And depending on what part of culture you best agree with, you call foul on the other side of saying cancel culture. But cancel culture essentially is this, it's, it's, It's that people don't deserve forgiveness and grace, that we are our worst mistake, that when somebody says something offensive or does something hurtful, offensive to a culture or hurtful to a person or a people group, that they have the ability to be shunned, to be exiled away from relationship. Or if you have any status in society, somehow you you should be removed from that. Now, Lake Avenue Church, let me just tell you, at a very basic level, with a very basic definition of cancel culture, Jesus does not endorse cancel culture. Jesus extends grace and forgiveness, and we should not be going around looking at people's worst mistakes and then telling them to take off. But I also think we need to be well reminded that the world you and I live in, everybody's doing that to one another. I was at the farmer's market about a month ago, in line by myself, big mask, hat, and earphones, and, the, and I, my, my podcast went off, and I heard the conversation behind me. Now, this was a conversation between what, what would be labeled more progressive politically people thinking about a situation and current events where this particular offender and person should be removed, should be removed from their job and influence because of what they have done. And I'm sitting there listening to the rationale, and then I move up in line, and I'm being asked to sign a petition to remove our governor where the exact same rationale is being cited. We as Christians, at least in this space as Christians, we are going to be a place of grace and forgiveness. And this is why you will rarely, if ever, hear me speak about another pastor and what they have said. Because you and I live in a world where on social media, there's instructions given to Christians. As you go to church today, if your pastor doesn't say or do this, get out. Or there are pastors who are standing up in front of their congregations today and saying, if your pastor does this or doesn't do this, that's not a real church. I am not called to be a statesman at this point in my life. I pray never I'm called to be a part of this congregation for now where the fullness of the body of Christ, the fullness of political position, the fullness of passions over the issues that our world is all right here, and we will be a church where we have to learn to respect and think of the other well, and not saying, if you, then you. That's not the grace God gives us. That is not the grace in which we're to live. Now, I want to make a comment because there is in the Scripture and in the New Testament, and we need to do more teaching on this church. We need to understand this. There is very specific instructions around church discipline. But here's what I want you to know from a very Overview idea of church this is the idea that within the church there's going to be conflicts there's going to be moments where individuals need to be pulled to, to to be restored in love to to deal with a issue of sin or offense so it's not again a generic call to not live in relationship but about church discipline notice in the scriptures it's always within a specific community and there will be times when someone is out of sync with the teachings of Jesus the ways of God that are either unrepentant or harmful to themselves or to someone else. And when those situations arise, church discipline is always, always centered on the goal of restoration and love, not on canceling. So hear me. Christian unity, it's essential. We got to get to first, you guys. Forgiveness and grace... But there are times where we have to deal with serious issues of sin and offense. We will deal with those issues not by canceling somebody, but inviting them in to a time of restoration prayerfully and love. And I've been a part of this church for a long time, and I've seen a few people say yes to that process, and I've seen people say no. But our intent is to always focus on restoration and love, grace and forgiveness, A final thing I want to say about unity that at least it is is a word we don't necessarily see in the scripture the same way we see forgiveness and grace. And it's a newer word even around my life, but it's the word empathy. Because I think at very least, at the very least, unity and empathy are very connected. I love this Romans text. Love must be sincere and enjoy what I underlined. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another Above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Empathy essentially is feeling with somebody. We can have sympathy, compassion for someone. I grew up in a church. I grew up in a church that I would say was amazing at sympathy. Looking in our own city and seeing the needs of of certain kinds of people. God calling us to be part of some some help for people in in a tough position. Sympathy doesn't fuel relationship. Empathy is different. It says, I, I not only want to under, I don't only really want to see your bad situation, but I want to sit with you in that bad situation. It's feeling with. And it is critical for us as the people of Jesus to have empathy with one another, to rejoice with someone who rejoices, to mourn with someone who mourns. But the world we live in, friends, is that we look at somebody mourning and the reflex is, well, why are you mourning? It's not logical. Why why are you mourning about that? You should really be mourning about something else. Mourning should be over the things I mourn about. I don't join you in your mourning. I tell you what you should be mourning. Or the opposite. Why are you rejoicing about that? How can you rejoice about that? Why this is going on? I mean... The scripture says, mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Not rejoice in the face of somebody's mourning or mourn in the face of someone's rejoicing. So friends, let's get to first. Forgiveness, grace, empathy. But I would be reluctant to not just briefly say, that the scripture not only speaks to church discipline, but it also speaks to when we are to break unity with one or when we break fellowship. And I'm beginning that study. I am not there fully yet to give you a sermon on that. I'll keep you posted. But in my very early research, my own research and prayer, there's just a couple of things that I think we need to understand because in the disunity and the division that our world is in and even the large church is in, I'll tell you this, we're not to break unity over your uh, position on public health and masks. We're not to break unity over the things that we often are seeing being the very thing where unity is being broken between believers. In 1 Corinthians, there's very specific instructions around when we're to break unity with one another, and it is for brothers and sisters in the faith And Paul goes on to be very specific. Not people outside of the faith, not the world, who are actively engaged in immoral behavior. Brothers and sisters in the faith who are actively engaged in immoral behavior, who are unrepentant. There's a grounds for breaking fellowship. In Titus 3, very clear instructions. Again, we break unity. When brothers and sisters who stir up division and are wrapped up, the writer says, in conspiracies. And it even gives grace there. It says, go to, after three times, you've got to move away. So even the struggle to understand truth is allowed in the scripture. But notice that the breaking of unity is after attempts to keep unity, or it's in the face of unrepentance. That's essential for us to understand. We don't get to just break unity when we disagree necessarily about something in particular. we got to be sanctified by the word. And when we get into the word, we'll find our ability to understand. But I would also say this. Save me, you guys. Save us from being so wrapped up about studying when we can break unity at the expense of studying and being unified. Is unity a command of Jesus in your life? I made it pretty far in my Christian walk without understanding this. I listened to a podcast this week from Francis Chan, who ironically and beautifully has a book that just came out. I've got it coming. I will read it, and and I know it's going to be great, and we'll read it together. It's called Until Unity. He said one of the first acts of his discipleship was to memorize John 14 to 17 word for word but it wasn't until 25, 30 years later that he actually understood what he memorized. Is unity a command of Jesus, or are we slowing down, coming into first? What faithful step can you take and I take this week to be faithful to this command? Some of us it's, it's to extend forgiveness, to recognize we're broken people some of us to extend grace, some of us to learn to grow in empathy. Who are the people? Where are the places where mutual love is compromised in your life, in my life? I believe this, and we're going to have to muscle through this, church. I'm not the first one to say this. Some of Matt Chandler, who I really appreciate how he preaches, you should be listening to him, He said to his church a few months ago that the, the greatest obstacles in the next many years for Christian unity around mission will be in areas of politics and race, and isn't that true? But I actually am naive enough to believe that God's doing something in this world still and that he's bringing his people together to be the very people he prayed for, that we would be a people defined by forgiveness and grace and empathy We would be a people where we recognize that unity is not uniformity, that the more wide we can be, the better we can be at being obedient. I think Francis says in his book, and again, I'll read it, and if I misquote it, I'll let you know, I think he calls the church to just take a breath, quiet down, and be sanctified by the word through or two lake through or two i pray we get a double a triple we score but the one thing i pray i pray is that we don't slow down going to first father we need your help we need your help to be faithful thank you for the way father you The Son, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, live in this relationship of mutual love, and we are humbled, blown away, that you've invited us into that same relationship with you and one another. We need your healing in this land, in this world, in this nation, in this city, even in this local expression of your church. God, keep us in the game. Keep us to be the people of God, unified in mission for your glory. Amen.